the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic with comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams. The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, get a personalized feed of exclusive ad-free content. Visit theathletic.com slash and get yourself 40% off your first year subscription today. We're going to reference The Athletic twice today. My name is Mike Janine. Happy Tuesday morning. A little bit later in the week today as we uh, had a nice little Memorial Weekend in New York City. Rain, canceled Mets games. I'm over it. <laughs> Look, it's June 1st. And that's a big NFL day. And maybe this year more than ever, it's a massive NFL day for the names being monitored today, the money that could be moved, the money could, that could be cleared in terms of cap space, which is really important to a couple of franchises. I'm going to run through the already designated post-June 1st cuts and the cap implications there. I'm going to run through a handful of trade possibilities that have been waiting for this June 1st deadline. And that could also be a couple of releases as well. Look, there's some teams that need cap work. It, it's not a secret, okay? It's not a secret. We are 100 days from opening day, exactly 100 days. So there's there's some teams that need some work to do. And there's plenty of time to get rosters down to the 53, of course. But in in the interim... You know, there's going to be some some movement this week, whether it's trades, whether it's releases. You're going to notice some names get thrown to the open market. There's no question about that. It's just how this this sport works with a, a hard salary cap. So, bit up front in the NFL, I want to touch on some baseball stuff, payrolls, Jacob Degrom, just some of the randomness, uh, maybe some Tatis as well. Which is, if you if you aren't watching, you're missing. <laughs> okay, worth every penny situation. And then real quick on the back end, the NHL draft lottery is tomorrow, June 2nd. So I'm going to run through some quick odds and percentages and my thoughts on that as well, just in the back end of the show. Okay, as promised. I promise this will be brief. <laughs> it is June 1st. And of course, the big name um, being discussed today, rampantly on Twitter already. It's you know not even the first cup of coffee yet. But it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. And I get it. And I understand it. Here's how I'm going to finish this. One sentence. I've been kind of posting all along that I don't think he's out. And I don't think it's his decision either. He doesn't have the ability to just say, I'm done. I'm going to go play for the Denver Broncos now, or I'm going to go play for the Chicago, whatever it's going to be. He He doesn't formally have that ability. If he were 24, if he were Patrick Mahomes, I think he has that ability. I think I truly think he does. But I don't believe right now, at his stage of his career, Aaron Rodgers has the ability to force his way out right now because of the contract, because of the nature of the, of the league cap this year, because everything else is against him doing this. And the biggest thing that's against him is that the Green Bay Packers would be markedly worse without him. So they're not going to do it. And I, and I don't think that, three massive draft picks could convince them otherwise. I don't. And here's the other part of it. We've been, 
we've been talking about this from the other angle. Why is Aaron Rodgers pissed? Why is Aaron Rodgers demanding this? Why is he, you know, kind of passive aggressively going out there and, and making these statements? Because of Jordan Love, right? Because of the way that the GM has handled his twilight years of his career here. But they do have Jordan Love. And Jordan Love has to be getting better. Has to be. You know, a high a high draft quarterback prospect. Not the highest, but one of them. It stands to reason that he's improved over the past 18 months on this roster, in this, in this system. Is he Aaron Rodgers? Of course not. But he is a chip that they hold. He is somebody that they could put in there with relative confidence to win eight, nine games. I think that's fair to be a 500 team. And is that enough? No, it's not. It's not Aaron Rodgers. And that's the point to be made here. The point is they do have a backup plan. That backup plan is probably the reason they're in this situation in the first place, but they have it. So if Aaron Rodgers wants to retire or sit out or hold out or whatever he's going to do in lieu of not getting traded, I think that Green Bay would just be okay with that. They wouldn't be happy about it. They wouldn't be a better team for it. But I think they'd be, I think that's the route they'd rather go than to watch this guy go to Denver and become Peyton Manning version 2.0. I, I don't think that's the right move or the move that they're even considering making right now. Now, is there a price? Of course. You know, if somebody wants to offer two firsts and two seconds for Aaron Rodgers at 36 years old with, you know, $73 million left in his contract that may have to get ripped up for a brand new contract, go bananas. You know, happy trails, Aaron Rodgers. I don't think anyone's doing that. So I think it's fair, it's fair offers coming in for a situation that's ugly, but not fractured from Green Bay standpoint. They have a backup plan. They they hold the cards. Yes, they want him to be their quarterback. I think they're going to bet on themselves. I think they're going to bet on the fact that they have taken measures to account for the fact that this was coming eventually, right? Aaron Rodgers not being here was coming eventually. They wanted to wait one more year because that's what the contract says they should do, by the way. Everybody's reading the tea leaves through the contracts, through the potential out situation, through the dead cap, which is obviously a big precursor to the show today. They're a year, for, a year away from this being a reasonable request. It's doable. You know, We saw Carson Wentz get moved well before his contract said it should happen. Same with Jared Goff. So it's, it's doable for the right price. I just don't think that price is coming, nor do I think Green Bay is looking for it. I think they understand that they're better with him. They're going to keep him on the roster. If he wants to walk away and sit, stay home or stay in Hawaii with his celebrity friends, they'll have to live with that. But I think they prefer that versus you go throw on the orange and blue and play for Denver. I, I truly believe that. And Jordan Love is a worse but, but acceptable backup plan. And kudos to them for having it at this point. I didn't agree with it at the time. A lot of people didn't agree with it. Certainly Aaron Rodgers didn't agree with it. But it was going to have to come eventually. There's plenty of teams that wait too long to add the backup plan, to add the the next measure, the next generation. That's never been Green Bay's problem, and it isn't right now. So I don't think there's any movement with Aaron Rodgers. Is a long-winded point I'm making here. Um, and I think that's from Green Bay's perspective. I imagine Aaron Rodgers will still fight for it. You may hear him come out publicly again, maybe, you know, indiscreetly come out and say, hey, I still want this. Same with Deshaun Watson, by the way. You may hear that as well, because that Houston situation, which I'll get to in a minute, it's not like it's improved at all. So 
you may hear some of that, but I don't think we'll see a high profile quarterback get moved this week specifically, or maybe not at all this off season. You may see a Nick Foles move. You may see a Gardner Minshew move. Um, some of those, you know, smaller pieces, backup roles that uh, teams are looking for. I think Seattle would be in on one of those, maybe a Los Angeles. There's some teams that could use maybe an extra body with some experience in their, in their clubhouse right now. So it's, uh, it's just not coming to, coming to fruition in my opinion, in terms of Aaron Rodgers this off season. Now, next February, there'll be plenty to discuss in my opinion, plenty to discuss. So to me, it's, does he hold out or do they repair this thing to the point of being able to play? I think the latter is going to happen. He's a competitor. He's an MVP, literally an MV, the reigning MVP, the reigning NVC, you know, NFC championship team. This is, it's too good to walk away from. It's not the money. The money's there. He can get more if he needs it. They've offered. It's just every, both sides have to suck this up and, and get back to football. And, you know, the closer we get to training camp now, about eight weeks away from training camp, I think the, uh, the smell of the game will become more and more evident to Aaron Rodgers and the business side of it will have moved farther and farther away. You know, the far, the further we get away from March, the more it turns into a game and less of a business. That's just kind of the nature of this 12 month sport. So I think we'll get there eventually. Long story short, I don't think he's on the move. My personal opinion, I'm reading the tea leaves. I'm certainly reading the contract. Uh, I think we're a year away from it being a reality. Let's talk about the, the players who were already designated as post-June 1st releases. Real quick precursor on this. The NFL built us into this, the previous CBA. Okay, so this was the team wants to release you, but your dead cap situation was too big to release you in a certain year. Now, if they waited till June 1st, that's fine because they could split it up as, you know, this year's dead cap this year, everything else next year which is how it's working starting today at 4 p.m. Eastern. But players, agents, were got really pissed off about this. Well, we know the Bears are going to release our player, but they can't do it until June 2nd, which helps them from a cap perspective, but it destroys my client because now he is not free to sign with another team until June 2nd when all the other free agents have signed, when all these draft picks have been made and my guy's sitting out there looking for a job and he's gonna have to take a minimum contract because nobody else has, has cap space to spend at this point in time. So they fixed it. They allowed teams to designate two players as post 6-1 releases starting with the new league year. So we saw a handful of players get cut. You know, let me finish that thought, which means that player is immediately free to sign elsewhere the second that they designate the player. Okay. But his entire cap hit for that year. So let's talk Kyle Rudolph, longtime tight end for the Minnesota Vikings, who was designated a post-June 1st release on March 2nd. Okay, so leading up to that league year. Immediately free to sign elsewhere, and he did so. He signed a two-year contract with the New York Giants March 18th, basically at the flip of the new year, the start of free agency. So his active availability became immediate, which is... That's what this designation fixed. So he was able to sign elsewhere immediately. Now, his entire seven, excuse me, $9.3 million cap hit on, the, on his previous Vikings contract stays on Minnesota's books until today. All right. So they've been carrying his 9.3 million hit, you know, 
while the Giants, you know, signed him to a brand new contract as well. Today, that changes. Today, the contract essentially voids officially, and he now accounts for just $1.45 million of dead cap. Okay, so they, they gain upwards of $8 million here in cap space in terms of Minnesota because of the post-June 1st designation today. They'll, they'll clear $8 million today. He'll count for another, you know, $2.9 million next year as the dead cap was pushed down for the rest of the contract. But huge benefit to be able to say on June 2nd, you know, we're clearing $8 million of space because of our designation back in March. Huge benefit to Kyle Rudolph to be able to say, get me off this roster today so that I have a chance to showcase myself with every team at the best possible time to sign. So it works for both sides as long as you can carry you know, the current cap hit through the, through the, really the spring, which is where we are today. That's the only downside for teams is having to carry that big cap. Now uh, there's been loopholes found, right? And, and the loophole is this. If we talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, who, if you remember back in February, were dead meat cap wise, saints and Eagles were massively under, and you knew they were going to have to go through gymnastics to get this, get this done with. So what did the Eagles do? They took Elshon Jeffrey and they took Malik Jackson and they designated him as post-June 1st releases, which was no surprise. However, before doing that, they restructured guaranteed salary. Okay, they restructured, or, or in the case of Jeffrey, for instance, they just flat out gave him a pay cut. Look, we're not going to pay you your current salary. Okay, whatever it was, $10 million, $9 million. We're not going to pay it to you anyway. You're going to be released. You're going to be able to sign elsewhere. Same with Malik Jackson. So we're going to drop your base salary to almost the minimum. Basically a minimum salary. We'll add on some things to, to, to make sure that the cap works out. But instead of carrying a, a 12 or 14 or $15 million cap hit until June 1st, we're going to cut off your base salary. And for instance, with Malik Jackson, his cap hit the past few months has been $5.6 million. It's a lot easier for Philadelphia to swallow for a player who is not even on their active roster anymore. It's just a dummy designation until June 2nd. I don't know why every team doesn't do this. Truly, I don't know why every team doesn't do this. Okay? Same thing happened with New Orleans in Drew Brees. Drew Brees was not going to make $25 million this year because he's retiring. They did want to release him as a, or, or they don't want to process his retirement until after June 1st because the same rules apply. If you process that retirement before June 1st, all of his dead cap has to accelerate forward to the current year. Well, as I mentioned, the Saints have no ability to manage that this year. It's just not possible. They've already had to go through so many hoops with their current roster just to get themselves neutral. So, they did this. They did a very similar thing. They took that base salary from twenty five million and they dropped it to the minimum one point zero seven five million, and they're only carrying a twelve point two million dollar cap hit until today, at which point they'll save, you know, about a million and a half. It, it's it's about a million and a half cleared with the with the June first retirement plan. Now they'll have another eleven and a half million dollars next year of dead cap because they used void years and, and restructured bonuses and all those good things, the things that the Saints do and many teams have done. 
Um, so Drew Brees will be a lingering cap hit now for the next two seasons, despite the fact that he'll be in the NBC booth calling games. But it's just a little loophole to this post-June 1st designation. So which players actually got designated as post-June 1st? Um, Kyle, I mentioned Kyle Rudolph, who will clear about $8 million with the Minnesota Vikings. Trey Boston, a free safety, will free up about $3.5 million in Carolina, a team that's very interesting this week, by the way. I mentioned Elshon Jeffrey. His post-June 1st release will clear about $2.1 million, while Malik Jackson, another two. So Philly gets about $4.1 million this week with the post-June 1st designations. The Bears, a much-needed $9 million from Charles, Charles Leno, who was released May 3rd with a June 1st designation. And here's the weird one. Juwan James, Denver. We, know, we all know the story with the off-season workout and the fact that that guaranteed $10 million we don't believe is going to be paid. Um, we're going to clear it off the books at this point because Denver's going to, or he specifically, is going to have to go through some arbitration to try to fight for that, that back because it, is, it was a clear violation of the off-season non-football injury. So the league has come out about it. The Broncos have come out about it. You know, there's been plenty of, uh, of references to the CBA directly. I, I'm just going to side on the side of the CBA at this point. And if obviously things change, our numbers will be credited next year. That's just how football works. You know, some things that get cleaned up in season in terms of arbitration processes get cleared up in the adjustment process of next year's cap hit. So if there's a change, Denver's cap hit will change next year accordingly as a credit. But for now, I'm going to take his $10 million salary off the books for this post-June 1st release, which means just $3 million of dead cap for Juwan James this year, saving that $10 million, and then $6 million more next year. So Denver will get themselves $10 million of space for somebody besides Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. But that's a that's another big chip to fall here on the on the June first designation docket. Um, other than that, it wasn't a big year for that. It wasn't as big as year year I thought as I thought it was going to be because of the cap crunch situation. Uh, I do think we'll see more trades, which could offset this. So let maybe less releases, more trades, as teams are looking for players this time of year, maybe more than ever to fill out some roster spots, but. That's really the list right there. Trey Boston, Kyle Rudolph, Malik Jackson, Elshon Jeffrey, Charles Leno, Juwan James, and then Drew Brees on the retirement side of things, which the Saints have been waiting for, although they only free up about a million dollars of cap space there. So that's the June 1st stuff in terms of what we know. The other side of it, like I said, is what else is coming? What else happens now that dead cap officially splits into this year, next year from here out on all moves, retirements, releases, trades? I think the, we go back to Philly for our first move because something's happening with Zach Ertz. Can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. Um, my guess, my, my gut feeling is that teams like the Bills and the Chargers who could use a tight end are just going to wait this out. And they know that Philly's not going to keep him at his price. They know that he probably is... You know, the relationship is probably fractured at this point to the point where he won't be a member of the Eagles in 2021. And if they're not accepting six-round picks for him right now, then they're just going to wait out the release and start fresh with Zach Ertz. That's my guess. Um, okay, so if that's the case, 
then why wasn't he designated post-June 1st back in March? Because the Eagles already used two designations. They use it on Malik Jackson. They use it on Elshon Jeffrey. So it wasn't A, it wasn't an option. And B, of those three, Ertz probably had the most you know, trade value and probably still does. I'm not saying that a trade can't happen. I'm saying my guess is, my gut feeling says teams wait out his release because they know it's coming. But you know, if the Chargers think the Bills are really in, if I'm just kind of using those two teams, maybe they go for it with a fifth or a fourth round pick. Maybe they overpay a little bit to get this guy in. I could see both those teams doing it in their current situations. The Chargers may be ready to take that step forward. The Bills may be thinking this is the one veteran piece that could really put their offense over the top and compete with the Chiefs, uh, You know, have, having outscored teams like the Chiefs and, and the Titans and the Bucks and the, and the Packers. So it's doable, but that, and that a, that's why it didn't happen in March. That's why we're here now. And B there is a significant amount of dead cap. There's 7.7 million. Again, the Eagles can't tolerate those kind of big hits in one year. So they're going to take 4.2 million this year. They'll take another 3.5 million next year. That's a much easier pill to swallow for them right now. I just don't know if it's going to be via the trade or via the release. My, my gut feeling says release but we shall see if one of these teams steps up big to pull him in. It's very possible. I've talked about Julio a lot. Uh, you know, I can't imagine that it goes reverse at this point. The Titans appear to be in. The Seahawks are now in. Everybody's really in to some degree. I don't know that the Packers are in, but uh, the Patriots seem to be limping into it. I would imagine the Dolphins have interest. So you're going to hear a lot of teams called out. I, me- I mentioned last week Arizona should be in. If they're really making the push that it looks like they're they're making this year, the Atlanta can save over 15 million unless they have to recoup some of the salary. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. It's possible. It's happened plenty of times now, but this player uh, with this mu- much air quote demand, from what we know, I can't imagine that they'd have to eat any of that. If anything, take it on, restructure it. It's fully guaranteed. So. You know, your new new team can convert that into a new contract, make it cap friendly, all that good stuff. He's certainly on this list. He's certainly the big name to watch here, especially if we're taking Aaron Rodgers off of this list. Daniil Hunter, Minnesota has been mentioned a lot here, and I think that's of importance because another story that broke this weekend is that the Vikings were in on Justin Fields, and they had ambitions to go up into the top 10 of this draft to get him. Now, that doesn't mean anything. You know, it means that they're interested in a quarterback who had a good college career and Maybe he was the next in line. They've been souring on Kirk Cousins for a, a while now. And I know that they had to give him that, that last contract extension last year for cap purposes. It's just kind of how Kirk Cousins operates. He works at high base salaries with good signing bonuses. So there's always a ton of dead cap on his contracts right now included. There's $54 million guaranteed in this contract right now. So it's inoperable in terms of getting rid of it unless there's a team that falls in love with this guy, which is very unlikely right now. He's fully guaranteed through next year. So, you know, if, if they're considering a quarterback change, it's not really tenable until 2023, unless they end up eating half of it and they send the other half to somebody else next year. Very possible. I think everything's on the table with Minnesota right now who appear to be eyeing down a bit of a rebuild might not be a full rip the bandaid off rebuild, but it certainly looks like, that they're going downwards versus upwards in terms of their their team building thought process. Daniel Hunter is not happy with this contract. <sighs> Look, 
This sucker was a best value contract the day he signed it. It was too low. It was not impactfully guaranteed. It was traditionally structured. There were no early triggers. Everything about this contract to me was was brutal from a player standpoint. I, I, this was like a, a huge red flag the second it was signed. This guy's a hell of a player. You know, he doesn't get the attention that your Aaron Donalds do and your Cleo Max do, but he's the tier below that kind of level player. He can really change games when he's healthy. And he has had some injury issues, but he is a player and a player. I think there's big time trade value for this guy. It's whether or not Minnesota will move on, but they can split up that 12 million of dead cap pretty easily now that it's June 1st and they could get a serious offer. This could be a Stefan Diggs version 2.0 situation for them where they, they bring in a very attractive draft pick for a player that they like, but seems embattled, seems like he wants out from a contract standpoint. And this is probably not a contract they want to redo internally. I think that they're not in that kind of mode right now, based on everything I just, just told you, I think they're not in extension mode right now by any means. So if, you know, teams like the Raiders, teams like I could even see the Bills and the Titans get involved in this one. Um, if they're looking at a, if if there are teams out to look looking for a pass rusher, a good pass rush right right now in the you know early June, could be a very high draft pick trade, and then a new contract, a restructured contract extension for Neil Hunter, which could obviously work for both sides. I I like this one a lot as a sneaky sneaky good trade. A little bit less caliber, Jordan Hicks, Arizona Cardinals linebacker, just doesn't ever have a starting spot anymore. They drafted and added free agents that kind of supplanted his role. He's cheap. He's got, you know, $6 million of dead cap that splits three and three after today. So it works for them to move on. And it's only a $3 million base salary this year. So if you're a team looking for some linebacker depth, this is a more than adequate ad for you early June at $3 million, which is not guaranteed. So you can kind of finagle it as you need if you want to, or, or if he demands it. I think this happens for player and team purposes. I think this happens. I, I, uh, I think there's some teams out there that could use some depth, and this is not a break the bank kind of move, either from a draft pick perspective or from a, uh, an added salary perspective. And then the last team to note here, I have to mention the Texans. Okay, the, the Texans added 32 free agents this offseason. Nine more than any other team in the league, okay? Of those 32, 29 of them came from another team. So only three of them were guys that they re-signed. They, they, you know, they did do a couple of, of small internal extensions for cap or, or, or longevity purposes. But 32 free agents, $28.7 million guaranteed. <laughs> okay? So do the math on this. We're talking minimums. We're talking minimum signing bonuses, just an absolute, give me everybody you got. We're not paying anybody. We're just going to bring them in. Their camp body is more than anything. It is a quantity and not quality attack right now from Houston. If anybody on that team is worth anything, I have to believe they're open. They're 100% open for business. Whitney Marsalius, Deshaun Watson, Brandon Cooks, even David Johnson, restructure, whatever. I think everybody is available. So if you have an injury this offseason, um, if you've got a deficiency at a position right now and you like anybody on their roster, I think they are 100% open for business. They have literally just added every offseason move possible to, to, to compile a roster for themselves internally and then to see what they have in August, you know, and become maybe a, a player pool for other teams who do lose players to injuries, things like that. 
it's an interesting approach for a new front office. Uh, I certainly think that Deshaun Watson um, criminal situation investigation has put them into this mode where they're scrambling a little bit versus, you know, are we going to move on from him, bring in a new quarterback and then try to build a system from there? They don't even have an answer to that yet. You know, they've, they've added three, four quarterbacks this offseason alone just because even at that position, they have to scramble. So I think it's a full out, just an offseason blitz. And they're going to let the dust settle. Point being here with summer trades, I think teams look to them like a minor league system. <laughs> and, and they have bodies, they have experienced bodies. These aren't, you know, a lot of these names are notable names. It's just, you know, they're not going to be plug and play starters. They're going to be, we'll bring them in, see if they can compete for a depth role on our team. But that's the time of year it is. So Houston could be extremely active with low grade, late draft pick kind of moves just to decrease their current roster and and give other teams some depth. Just something to keep an eye on. But the, the Houston offseason has been, on both sides of the spectrum, extremely interesting from a player ad perspective, from a trade perspective, and certainly from a uh, from a quarterback perspective as well, which is not going away, not going away by any means. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash G-S-E. All right, before I switch gears to baseball, real quick, I'm going to hit on some Naomi Osaka talk here, and it's not going to be the should she, shouldn't she, you know, what kind of stance is she making here? That's for other another show to handle, for sure. Um, I'm not a sports reporter. I've never been a sports reporter. I think I can see both sides of it from the outside looking in, so... Leaving that one off the table. Here's what I want to mention, though, because it's something I read this morning in a few spots, and I think it's interesting for our audience specifically. If you bet Naomi Osaka in the French Open, and she had pretty good odds, I believe you know this is not her her tournament by any means, which is really a whole other part of this whole conversation. But you know, you you could lay plus twelve hundred on Osaka winning at some of these sites and for, you know, the second best player, women's player in the world right now, that's probably, I, I think what I read was that she was the second most bet player at many of the major books in terms of women's tennis this, this weekend. So here's the deal. She played a match and then withdrew. So this could have been, this is basically like an injury withdrawal more than, you know, in terms of comparative comparatives. I believe from what I'm reading here that most of these sites, most of these apps, these betting apps are, are going to honor this, these bets and they are not going to refund by any means that some of them, I think I saw points bet is one of them. I would imagine that I would imagine that many of them could follow suit with this, that they're going to offer credit. So They'll refund with credit towards the next bet kind of thing versus just hand you money backs. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing some more updates. DraftKings and FanDuel 
are fully refunding any future bets on Osaka in terms of the French Open. So that's a little bit surprising to me. So the William Hills, the big, the big time, the bet GMs, they're the, the big guys. They are not refunding this points bet. A couple of the smaller ones, they're doing credits on Osaka, but DraftKings and FanDuel are, are offering full refunds on future on future bets for Osaka. That surprises me because she played a match. She played a match, which means she was invested in this tournament at, at some point. So whether that's a good faith decision, whether that's just let's get ourselves away from the bad press, you know, by 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 being sticklers with this, I I would be perfectly fine with with a with a William Hill stance, which is saying she lost, she did not win this tournament, a tournament she entered and played in, she did not win. So this whole thing is extremely polarizing and intriguing for a lot of reasons, but I think the actual you know, the gambling part of it. And the point I wanted to bring into this is nothing can be, can be, nothing can happen now in sports without a gambling angle. And for a lot of things, the gambling side of it won't be considered enough. It it won't be taken into consideration enough, you know, injuries, will he play? Won't he play? That stuff's easy, but something as big and as spotlit as this there's millions of dollars of bets out there on this on this girl, and, and rightfully so. She's a hell of a tennis player, and for all intent, she's a hell of a human being. But this is a this was a mid tournament withdrawal, and I'm shocked that even some of these these betting companies are refunding anything, credits or not, because she participated. You know, if I if I have if I'm sitting here holding a birdie bet or a Serena bet. I don't know that I'm comfortable with, with how this is being handled. And I think I'm looking at at which companies handled this, you know, one way versus another. So I can consider where I put my dollars going forward. I'm not invested here in in any way, in any way, shape or form. Uh, I think I've used the majority of these at one point in time, but this is a polarizing decision from a gambling perspective because this isn't, you know, had to, this isn't a horse that couldn't post because of an injury, because of an illness or whatever. This is a, this is a tennis player who played a tennis match in a tournament. And then for reasons on the outside, but also internally, internally focused is now, now no longer in this tournament. Like I said, this could just be a hamstring injury for, for comparative purposes. So it's something to keep an eye on because you're getting a very different scope a very different reaction from many, many major betting companies to this one specific instance. And again, all of this is not just a grain of salt. Every single move that happens in sports now has a reaction from a gambling perspective. And this is a unique one, but it's something that we're going to have to keep keep an eye on here for sure. Okay. Probably more of that to come for sure. Uh, We'll have some, some future guests to discuss maybe ramifications, especially as the future... Grand Slam events become into focus and her future in those come into focus. We shall see. Baseball. I mentioned I was in New York City in Manhattan this weekend with family. One of the points being I had Mets tickets and I hedged between a Saturday night game and ESPN Sunday night baseball against the Braves. And I chose for the Sunday night game, which of course was 100% rained out. And of course, the Saturday night game was a 13 to two Mets victory, <laughs> so five home runs. So I, I chose poorly. 
long story short, I chose poorly. I was lined up for a Sunday night Jacob DeGrom pitching match, though, which I was extremely excited for. It's been a couple of years since I've seen Jake. The, the Hall of Famer did not disappoint. His start was moved to Monday. He was in Arizona last night. He dropped his ERA to 0.7. It is the lowest ERA heading into June in 70 years. It's no joke what he's doing. He's throwing 102 miles an hour. He's got four times as many 100-mile-per-hour 100 fastballs this year than any other pitcher in the game. He would be up there in, in the strikeout leaders had he not missed a couple of weeks with the, uh, the back injury, which I think probably will be a thing his entire year now. He, you know, he's certainly the ERA leader. He's going to be up there in war, as he always is, because of his, his need to this team. He's 32 going on. He'll be 33 in about 15 days here. There's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on with Jacob deGrom. He's going up. He's kind of Benjamin Button in this situation right now. Here's the money on, on Jake. 33 and a half this year, 33 and a half next year. There's a lot of that's deferred. He's got deferred payments you know, into his 40s, as many athletes do in this league. After 2022, he's got an opt-out. He's got a player option. And he's set to make 30.5. Then there's a $32.5 million club option in 2024. So there's plenty of term left on this thing. But point being, I ran a projection on him this morning. You know, he's worth 37. He's worth the highest pitcher contract in the history of baseball, as you might have guessed. You know, you, we don't really need math to tell us that, but he is. He's worth $37 million a year. So... Is 34, almost 34-year-old Jacob deGrom going to opt out after 2022 to launch into the highest contract ever? It's a big year. It's a big year. I mean, if he wins another Cy Young, if he puts himself in MVP conversation, and oh, by the way, the Mets are six games over 500 and handedly in first place in the NL East right now. So this kind of Sandlot Mets team with 15 players on the IL around it, they're winning. So... <laughs> Uh, if all this comes together, kind of perfect storm, it's going to be Verlander in the Houston situation to some degree where, well, we can't get rid of this guy, even though he's 36. Let's just give him three years and a ton of money and hope he, hope he can last. He hasn't. He's in Tommy John IL right now and, and may never come back, may come back. We don't know. That's the risk. But I think if you're invested in the Mets, you know, if you're the owner, Steve Cohen, if you're the new GM, if you're all those things, I don't know where else you would want to put your cards. You know, I imagine players like Conforto walk. I don't know what happens with Noah Syndergaard. He's probably leaning towards walking after this year. Any, anybody with a question mark not named Jacob deGrom on this team probably is going to get passed by because this is the guy you look at. This is the guy you build around. And it's a pitcher. All the trends, all the stats, everything points towards the staff versus the position players. It's just how the game has turned. Now, you can go out, score some teams, but you can't do it every day, okay? Defense still matters in this game. You, you can see it on all the bad teams. If you look at the defensive statistics and just how things work, start, start with starting pitching, start with closers, then look at actual, actual fielding, actual errors, ground ball rates, those kind of things. That's what gets you through the marathon of a season. And certainly pitching is what gets you through the postseason as well. You need your top four to be better than the other team's top four. So it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to track the next 18 months of both the Mets and Jacob deGrom 
because he's certainly deserving of this extension. I've got him at three years, 111 million. That's 37 million a year exactly. Will it happen? Depends, I think, on the on the path that the Mets take. Now they, you know, they spent 341 million dollars on a player batting 200 right now in Frankie Lindor. So the track record isn't good. Is my point, you know. And the other big free agent signing was James McCann, a catcher who's a nice little player, but he's now he's now basically lost half of his position, his playing time to Thomas Nito. It's just how the game goes. These young guys on minimum contracts, they can play ball. So the days of spending, 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 spending probably are done. We've got a new CBA coming. That's a whole other element to this Degrom situation because if there's a lockout. If there's a strike, if there's a time off with the, with the sport itself, that's just years being added to Degrom that you know we can't get back, and that's the, you know the same goes for your Verlanders, your Pujolses, your 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 players in the in the 30s here. So there's a lot going against this situation, but I don't think anybody would gawk right now if the Mets and, and Degrom worked out an automatic opt out. Ripped up, ripped up 2023, ripped up 2024, and tacked on three for 111. So he'd go 33 and a half, 33 and a half, 37, 37, 37, and let's call it a career after that. That's probably the right way to do it. I just don't know if that's how we see it happen. You know, do the, do the Mets have to wait and get through 2022 and let the opt out happen, or do we do this early? Do we lock it in and formalize the Mets into Grom over the next five seasons fully? It's very interesting to watch. He's been a heck of a player. The numbers are just off the charts. Everywhere you look, they're off the charts. And like I said, they're going up, not down. Real quickly with payrolls. I tweeted this yesterday on my drive home from New York. The Tampa Bay Rays are ridiculous. They're just ridiculous. <laughs> okay. They are handedly in first place in the in the AL East, which is impossible because the Yankees were a hundred win team, according to Vegas. The Red Sox are having the renaissance year many of us predicted, but they're they're good. The Red, the Red Sox are good, and they can get better. They have pieces they can add. They are, there are moves to be made. They are well-coached. They're a good team, good, solid defensive team as well. Okay, the Red Sox carry a plus 600 win percentage right now. The Rays carry a plus 636, the best in all of baseball. This is the 26th-ranked payroll. We've heard this story before, but it doesn't get old. Okay, they lost Blake Snell. They lost Jose Alvarez. They lost so many major pieces. Again, they do this every year. They shut off one or two pieces that they can't afford to pay over $10 million. They know their threshold. They know their price tag. Okay, they're running a $62 million payroll. Their 26-man active payroll is $46 million, which is fourth lowest in the league. It's, an, it's just a freak. It's a freak thing, but they have mastered this art. Okay, you can't tell me that the A's own Moneyball anymore. It's got to be the Rays. It has to be. This team is consistently good at winning with $60 million payrolls. It's just their thing. And, you know, they may get cheaper. They may trade some people. They've already traded a piece. They traded Willie Adamas, one of their shortstop prospects, to the Brewers. Uh, they know exactly the time to do it. I got to give them all the credit in the world. I don't know if they can win this thing because the big boys are going to come roaring back in the, in the late summer. And home runs are going to be up and everything's going to be up come July and August. But as of right now, June 1st, which is a pretty nice sample size, we're, we're more than a quarter past here. They're the best team in baseball. And they got the 26th ranked payroll. So it's, it's not a joke. It's really not a joke. I mean, everybody else is over, is well over $100 million until you get down to those A's who I mentioned, 
who carry just over 500, their plus their, their 0.554 win percentage with an $86 million payroll right now. So there's your top 10. It's a bunch of $100 million. Certainly the Dodgers at 256 are the sixth best team in baseball. It's a lot of big boys and the Rays and the A's. And it's kind of been that way for five years minimum. And it's not a fluke anymore. It's something related to monitor what these two teams are doing and really the Rays specifically because the Rays have done this with other, other teams, castaways. They've made just killer trades, killer trades from Pittsburgh, from Cleveland, from, you know, just from, from places that, that are good teams, right? They took some good players from Cleveland who didn't have starting positions and said, hey, you're a, you're a starting third baseman. Or you're a start, you're a closer for us. It's just how they operate. They are a brilliant small market team. And case in point, again in 2021, something to keep an eye on for sure. So, who's the best of the worst? Um, look, the Rockies still hold $115 million, $115 million payroll. That's your third worst team right now, as it was to be expected. And they've got, they've got pitchers that they could move, really good pitchers in John Gray and Austin Gomber who could be very, very tantalizing to teams at this deadline, teams like the White Sox, teams like the Giants, um, you know, Cubs, Mets, Cardinals. Look for them to be big-time sellers come, come the end of July for sure. That could be a big deal. The Nationals at 170, it's just not their year. Last in the NL East, uh, 23rd right now in terms of overall record. That's a big-time payroll to be down there, as is, you know, as is the Angels, of course, who have a Mike Trout injury to deal with, a lack of pitching once again. 22nd winning percentage record, $184 million payroll. Not good times on the other side of Los Angeles for sure. So that's your good. That's your bad in Major League Baseball. I love monitoring this kind of every quarter. So in, in eight weeks or so, we'll do it again. But keep an eye on these Rays. Can they sustain this thing through July 4th, which is really the turning point of Major League Baseball? If so, if they can fend the Yankees off here, who just have not been able to hit, and fend off these Red Sox who are charging, it's going to be just, you know, it's redundant for some people. It's not for me because this is not the same team coming back doing this. This is not, oh, they're a good small market team. This is a good, this is a, another iteration of a good small market team. It really is. It's brilliant work by them. For them to be standing atop this league right now is nothing short of amazing. And I give them all the credit in the world. Okay, and last but not least, a little MLS, a little soccer for you, a little football for you, if you dabble that way. Um, my partner in crime, Scott Allen, has put together a little piece for me quickly here that there was a sanctioned violation in Major League Baseball for salary cap purposes and roster purposes. This is a, uh, it's not common, but the Inter-Miami team, kind of the newer team here, basically didn't follow the rules, <laughs> Okay. They had an incorrect roster categorization for a couple of players, which there's designated players, there's veteran players, there's homegrown players. There's, it's more of a slotted roster in soccer for really the whole world. And MLS has adopted it as well. So you can only have a certain number of players that were you know born in the United States, a certain number of players that are national. You've got exceptional veterans who you can designate with uh, higher salaries and things like that. You can only have a certain amount, number of those. Uh, WNBA has something similar to this. Um, kind of many of your uh, mid mid major sports in America have followed this path as well to kind of make parity and fairness a little bit more prevalent in the sport. So 
basically this inter, inter Miami team violated their roster designations. Um, they had some salary implications in terms of underreporting budget amounts and sponsorships and things like that. We've seen this in EPL quite a bit. And here's what happens when you don't when you don't follow the rules in terms of your roster contentions. Two million dollar fine to the club. The owner specifically separately was fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, the the director of sports, the COO, has been suspended through the end of next season. So basically, a year and a half suspension for him. And Major League Soccer has reduced the the salary uh, cap for this team specifically over $2.4 million. Okay. For three, for, for obviously for not this season, but for 2022 and 2023. So two seasons going forward, this team now is operating two plus million dollars less than every other team in the sport. So $2 million fine, 2 million plus cap reduction, $250,000 owner fine. And the sporting director, basically the GM, gone through next year. That's what happens when you mess up your spreadsheets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, was it calculated? Who knows? Probably, you know, there's a competitive advantage to doing what they did and, and designated some players as non-designated to save some money, things like that. Um, but it's an interesting piece. It's all over the world right now. It happens. It, it's kind of a prevalent thing in soccer, especially with some of your bigger teams out in, in England, like I mentioned. Man Manchester City has been reportedly fined, suspended, banned, blah, blah, blah. Almost every other year this comes up because of outside money, influences, things like that. It's a, it's a massive business, massive business. And it's not so much here yet in America, but it's growing. It's growing. And like I said, there's talks of MLS and the La Liga League in Mexico kind of joining forces from a marketing standpoint, possibly from a, from a game standpoint as well. So I do think that there's, this thing has some legs and this is kind of the, this is kind of America's version of, Hey, we're actually a real, real soccer team or a soccer league here. All right. We do the same kind of dirty, dirty business that the rest of soccer does. So good stuff from Scott bringing that to my attention. And, uh, obviously any questions on any of this stuff, the June 1st stuff, the dead cap, uh, will he, won't he, uh, any kind of implications, any projections you'd like to see done. Those are kind of customized by me. So uh, happy to help. Happy to answer questions at Track on Twitter. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Track S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. And to Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Empowering financial solutions for the prospective NFL and NBA draft prospects across the world. Visit morganstanley.com slash G-S-E today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.